0: What is up, guys? This is All the Smoke on Strength and Physique with your hosts, Adam and Chris, where we provide you with evidence based information, community support, and recognition to all who are betting themselves with fitness. Welcome
1: back to All the Smoke on Strength and Physique. We got a hella special guest. I remember this man, as I said before, man was in the break room. I don't even know. <laughs> it was a ping pong room, something like that, eating his chicken I don't and know. veggies. Something I don't know. what
2: like, Campbell Campbell fashioned some sort of weird room and made it into a training facility slash lab. So, yeah,
1: I remember walking in on this guy. He was deadlifting, making a bunch of noise, and I walked in on him. I'm like, "Yo, what are you doing?" He goes, <laughs> "I'm powerlifting." And back then, Adam didn't know a damn thing about powerlifting. But Andres was strong as shit. Uh, him and as we talked about a little bit before the we hit the record button, Chris guy introduced me to you know powerlifting. Got me him and his research project. So. My man, for those individuals who have no idea who you are, Andres, go ahead and introduce yourself, please.
2: Yeah, man. My name's uh, Andres Vargas. Uh, I'm like everybody seems to be these days. I'm an online strength and nutrition coach. Uh, You know, everybody probably knows one or two now in their life. They got into some sort of, you know, bodybuilding show and then they became a coach. But uh, I think I try to differentiate myself from from all that by. Uh, saying that I you know I went to school for this. I got a master's degree in strength uh in exercise science so that I could uh you know try to do my best to educate people on the the real way, the scientific ways to improve your athletic performance and then also improve your life because of it. So, so I'm, uh oh,
1: see we did it again already.
2: Yeah so we have this thing that we just like cut each
0: other off. Me and Adam, mm. we, we previously spoke yesterday about this new thing. Like we are going to have our mics muted the whole time. And if we mm. unmute it, then we allow the other person to talk. But Adam
2: clearly doesn't want to do that yet. Um uh, my main it's, it's kind of it's kind of uh awkward sometimes with a two-host setup. You, you both are chomping at the bit to get the questions, right? Well, so.
0: well usually it's just Adam, not me. So oh okay.
2: All
0: right. <laughs> uh but what else do you do anything else other than coach right now? Or have you been coaching since you've graduated, or what else do you do?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. So originally I was gonna go into academia, more of the route that uh, Adam's going with PhD and all of that fun stuff. And I went to uh, the university, sorry, Arizona State University, where I actually had my undergrad, I went back for, uh, for a PhD program. And along the way, I just realized that academia wasn't really where my passion lied. I didn't really want to do that as a, as a long term profession. And um, there was some politics and stuff that got in the way. Um, Some, some just real silly nonsense. So uh, I ended up leaving that program and focusing full time on my business uh, on coaching. So right now that is what I do full time. Um, the strength cave is is the name of my business. And uh, yeah, its it's all about coaching individuals who are not unlike yourselves, very motivated to to make some improvements as far as their physique or as far as their you know athleticism, strength is concerned. Um, and uh, recently started getting into also, coaching and mentoring other coaches on how to basically build up their business and and their brand the way that uh, I have been fortunate to do. So what was the time frame that it it took you to achieve this
0: fully developed business that allows you to be sustainable on your own? And now you're getting into other coaches, because I think a lot of like you sort of got to in the beginning, there's everyone in their mom is going into online coaching. However, mm-hmm. as you've done, you've hung in there, you've stuck with it, you've grinded, you invested in yourself, and now you have a sustainable business. What's the time frame, and what are some things that you would really tell coaches just to get them like in the right mindset, starting off on online coaching?
2: Timeline-wise, so uh, you know, I started coaching uh, in person and, and sort of a hybrid online type of thing uh, back in grad school. So this was like 2015, 2016, I was coaching people in person and then starting to coach some people of what we call online coaching. And so then by the time I came back for the PhD program, which was 2017, um, I had some clients, but not what you would call like a full fledged business. Right. So, um, it wasn't necessarily starting from like ground zero on that day, but I, um, I I would say that it took about two years for me to really build my business up to a point where it was sustainable, where I didn't need any like outside income or feel like I needed to go find another job in order to do that. Now, everybody's timeline is different, to be honest with you, because some people are working uh, full time already or three quarters time or or maybe they're going uh, to school um, like you are, Adam. um, And they can't necessarily jump into the deep end of the pool right away and just and just sink or swim, right? So if that's if that's you, it might take a little bit longer for you to build up a clientele and build up a business um, because it, it, there's a lot of things that and, and this is something that they don't teach you, say in a in, in school or in a master's program or even a PhD, is when it comes to running that business, there are so many things that. You don't know that, that they can't teach you in an exercise physiology textbook, that they can't teach you in a nutrition textbook, that they can't, you know, there's, there's marketing, there's, you know, uh, e- there's email marketing, social media marketing, there's all of just the logistics that come with, with the business. And there's a steep learning curve there. There was for me, um, and, and I already had some familiarity with the business side because of my dad, who was a business owner. But even with that, there's just a lot that goes with it that you don't know how to do. And these days it's super competitive, man, because everybody's uh, attention span is about that big. Right. So if you don't figure out a way to differentiate yourself and put out content that is really um, engaging for people, then it, it's real hard to, to stay afloat.
1: You know, I think one thing that I honestly enjoy from your stories is those little Q and a things that you do yeah. fact or fact factor myth. I really enjoy that. Sometimes I'm like, damn, was I really wrong? Like I I get pissed (laughs) off at myself. So again, like you said, engaging yourself and providing some sort of educational tool with it, I think does a really good service. And it shows that you know your stuff and it puts me on the spot, whomever is doing it. Hey, man, this guy knows his stuff or I don't know my stuff. I need to, again, kind of go through your profile or whatever it may be and kind of brushing up on it. So I I respect and I appreciate what you do on IG. Can we- switch it over a little bit because yeah you did a a lot of great work at usf and i want to kind of put that work out there because i think a lot of people don't understand you know the research processes even though we've had a lot of individuals and we've talked about it but again you did it you flourished with it and then you said again you decided hey this really wasn't for me but go ahead and you know give out all that information that you did do at usf specifically for programming
2: Okay, sure. So when I went to USF, uh, I was studying under my mentor, Dr. Bill Campbell, great guy, shout out to, to Dr. Bill Campbell. But uh, he, um, he brought me in to do a thesis, which for those who don't know is, you know, you're basically doing a research um, um, intensive track of a master's program. So there's kind of two ways to do it. You could either go with a, a comprehensive exam, or at the end of your degree, you're taking like a big exit exam to prove that you know what you're talking about, or you can do a thesis track where you do um, a research study, and um, it's preparing you to then go into uh, maybe a PhD, some sort of further education, so that you can get into academia. So my project uh, specifically was on uh, powerlifting-specific programming. Um, I was kind of taking after the footsteps of some of the people who were there before me um, who had done some some programming type of, of studies. And so I kind of ran with that. They handed the baton off and I kind of ran with that. And I actually really enjoyed it. It was a study where we looked at two different styles of programming, uh, a powerlifting um, intensive block of training. It lasted 12 weeks. Um, we got a bunch of people into the lab. Adam was one of them, just hitting it hard every day, blasting music, too much pre-workout, all that kind of stuff. And um, we just investigated, is there a way to um, better distribute what I called training load across a week for a power lifter, as opposed to the traditional way that people were doing it? And they were using daily undulating periodization at the time. This was the big thing that everybody was doing back then, um, you know, basically, it's a uh, uh, daily, undulating periodization is kind of like a high-low approach. You're training with high intensity, heavy weight one day, and another day you're training with a lot less intensity, maybe lighter weight, maybe a speed day or more of a hypertrophy day. And so specifically, we were training three days a week. One of them was a heavy, you know, going to failure type of situation. One was just more of like a, a lighter day where you're you're just moving through the, the range of motion and getting that practice in And another day was more of like a hypertrophy bodybuilding type of day. Um, and what I wanted to see was what if we distributed instead of having one really heavy day where you're maxing out your squat, your bench, and your deadlift, uh, and going to max reps, what if you did that distributed it throughout the week where one day was like a heavy squat day. The next day was a heavy bench day and the next day was a heavy deadlift. If that makes sense. Um, and interestingly, We found that strength gains were the exact same between groups pretty much, and muscle gain was the exact same between groups, but there was a trend for um, more dropouts in the group that was trying to do one heavy day. And um, there was a trend for people reporting a lot less fatigue in the group that was distributing their load throughout the week and so i kind of took that and ran with it in the way that i program even to this day and uh i I really got interested in just how do how do we distribute training load how does fatigue catch up to us you know when do we have to deload and everybody's different because everybody leads a different lifestyle some people are are you know have a very high stress job and a very um high uh fatiguing job and some don't so it's an it's an interesting realm what, would, what was the, the sample population during this study? So we were looking at anybody between the ages of 18 to 45 years old. It's a good question. I'm not going to remember back to like my entry criteria, but 18 to 45 years old. Most of them that ended up in the lab were college students. So we're looking at, you know, 18 to, to 25 if they're in, uh, um, you know, a, a graduate program. Um, So these are younger guys. Most of the time they're trained. We, we had specific um, benchmarks that they needed to hit in order to enter into the study. So they needed to be not beginners. They needed to be able to, you know, like bench press. Um, I think it was one times their body weight, a deadlift one and a half times their body weight um, and squat 1.25 times their body weight, if I'm not wrong. And so these are people who have trained, um, you know, it's kind of hard to 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 say, Hey, do you have three years of training experience? Yes or no? One people are going to lie because they want to get into the study. Cause at the time everybody knew Campbell's lab and how everybody was doing awesome lifting in there. Um, so we set those criteria. instead. Chances are, if you can hit those benchmarks, you've been training for at least a year, maybe two years, right? Yeah.
0: And what I'm curious on is like you mentioned, just like the dropout rate was not as bad It seemed like the stress load was managed a little bit better. Do you think for different different populations that they can handle the stress better? Because that's why I asked the question is most studies on universities are going to be done with the university population unless it's very like narrow focus, because that's just what you have access to. But mm-hmm. I'm curious if you take away this stressful college student that's working two jobs, going to school and also lifting, if you take away going to school and two jobs and you just do one, I'm wondering if maybe they could have done even maybe two heavy full days and then a lighter one. So did you did sure. you notice anything about that?
2: Yeah, there's a lot of insights that I got from, from my study specifically. One was that uh, I started to realize that just like you said, the, the vacuum or the bubble that is a college training study is not what really super, um, how would you say, you, can, you can't really apply that the same way to what I would call a normal individual who's out in life. They're not in college anymore. They have a full-time job. Maybe they have a family, they have all kinds of stuff in their life. And number two, You're right. There are a lot of different um, thresholds that people have for fatigue and stress. Um, There are some people out there who you probably are like, man, I don't know how you do it because you have X, Y, and Z going on. You have A, B, and C stressors going on. And yet you always seem like there's no big deal. And you can go into the gym and and smash the weights hard every day. and, And it never seems like it catches up to you. And then there's people who are, um, you know, you could say on the other side of the spectrum, not a lot of stress in their life. Um, not, not a lot of, you know, their job is not really demanding or anything like that, but you know, they can't handle that, that high intensity training all the time. And you need to really be uh, a lot more careful about the way you dose those, those heavy days. Um, and so like going into it, um, I was a college student and I was at the time powerlifting and feeling like uh, invincible <laughs> and like nothing could break me. And eventually I broke pretty, pretty hard during grad school, actually. But uh, I was setting up this study for people like myself and not really realizing that, um, yeah, th- th- that not everybody can train that way. It's, it's, and that's when it kind of started the wheels turning. And I'm kind of glad for it because otherwise I would have gone into my coaching career just thinking I could blast people with, these training programs and not realizing that people, people need a very specific tailored
1: approach. So going into that, because again, I think a lot of people with training, even nutrition, man, they got to go zero to hundred, right? If it's not hard, we, we're doing something wrong. How right. are you trying to explain that to your clients or lifters, whomever it's going to be that, Hey man, we got to start small. Like once we start building these habits and achieving these small goals, then we can hit the ground running. But for me to just throw a bunch of things at you, hoping they will stick and work. Sure, it'll work in the short term, but long term, it's not going to happen. But how are you explaining that to everyone that you work with?
2: It's a good question. So one thing I do 100% every time I get somebody who comes to me is we have a conversation much like this, whether it be on the phone, whether it be over Zoom, or whether it be something like that. And I have an intake form that they have to fill out that's pretty extensive. So they have a lot of work to do before they even get started with me. Um, And during those, those questions that I ask and in the interview, Um, there are, I I'm digging for information of what's their life like, what are the reasons a lot of people hire a coach for, um, they don't hire a coach when things are going well, usually like it's usually when they've gotten to a place where they, they can't figure it out for themselves anymore. They need somebody to help them. It's yeah. Sometimes you get a person who's just like, man, I'm killing it in training, but I really just want somebody to take me to the next level anyways or uh something like that but that's rare most of the time it's somebody who's like listen i had some i had some success i was doing um you know influencer a's program and it got me some really good gains and then i, st- I tried to do it again and i don't know i started getting injured or you know i'm just not making the same gains i don't know what i'm doing wrong so they come to me and then i ask them questions i, I try to figure out okay uh, you know, wh- what are the reasons why that's, that program stopped working? Is it, is it something, something happened in their life that changed? Maybe they got out of college, now they're in the workforce and they have to sit at their desk nine to five and maybe there's a kid on the way, I don't know. There's, there, but that's my job to investigate what it is that are the limiting factors in this person's life and then figuring out together uh, with that person what are some strategies we could use maybe that I've used in myself or that I've used with other people to get over those, those sort of hurdles. Um, And then how do I program uh, on a nutrition side and on a training side to allow them to continue making progress that they want um, in a smart way. And so you asked, how do I get them to buy into that? Well, Essentially, I have to ask them questions in a way that gets them to realize that that 100% go, go big or go home mentality hasn't been working for them, right? And try to get them to realize that uh, there's, there's going to have to be a different approach. Those two things just aren't – they're not meeting up together anymore, right? And, uh, and, and that's sort of – the and that's, again – um, one of those things that they don't necessarily teach you in school of the X's and O's of exercise physiology, there's a lot of psychology that goes into coaching people. No, yeah, we, we just had a, a conversation with Cliff Wilson and like
1: the art and the science of coaching, man, it's definitely more of an art. And as you said, the psychological aspect is something that you don't really understand unless you've almost been through it or you're mm-hmm. taking a specific like sports psychology class. But I guess what are your favorite strategies to help? with adherence you have their buy-in you have all of that but then what are the specific strategies that are utilizing to
2: help with
1: that adherence aspect to your program
2: so uh you know like i just mentioned the motivational interviewing kind of aspect to it but then uh once they're with me um I use a lot of, I, 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 I don't say a demand, but I, I, I hold them to an expectation of giving me a lot of feedback. They have to check in with me on a weekly basis, which is standard in the industry, but I also hold them to the standard of once a month, we're going to have a phone call again, just like this. And I'm gonna ask you questions, the same kinds of questions. How are things going? How are you feeling? What's life like? Um, they report to me also um, within the app that I use for delivering programs, there's a wellness questionnaire that they have to fill out, and yeah, you know, they could lie and just put five for everything every time, but through the culture that I've created within my coaching and within and within the people that come to me, um, uh, that 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 starts to take care of that. And I can and I can tell when somebody's just bsing their way through the questionnaires and bsing their way through the check-ins, and then it's my job to call them out on that, right? Because as their mentor, you know, I like to look at coaching. Less like, because I think coaching's gotten this sort of reputation of, oh, you're an online coach, so you just give me a program and then you talk to me every now and then. No, no, no. To me, it's really about mentorship, right? Because essentially, I'm farther along the process than the person who's hired most of the time. So that means that I can mentor them, guide them along the path towards, um, you know, achieving similar things that I've achieved in my life, hopefully better because I haven't I haven't uh, won a powerlifting national championship or anything like that but hopefully better but, but while avoiding mistakes and avoiding these pitfalls that people fall into every single day in the fitness industry. So go ahead and touch up a little bit
1: about yourself though because I know you you've got a quite a story from where mm-hmm. you were at when you were young and honestly who the hell you are right now you're a totally different person so why don't you go and give a I guess a brief overview of where you were, how it went, and
2: now we here. Sure, man. Started from the bottom, one hundred percent. So when I was uh, when I was young, I was active. I loved playing sports and stuff, but I had a problem with the way that I ate. I love. I was very picky, and all I really would eat was junk food and fast food. And so, needless to say, that outpaced any kind of exercise I could do and eventually you know when you start to get heavier you start exercising less because you're self-conscious about the way you look and that kind of stuff so by the time I got to my senior year in high school I was over 300 pounds I'm not very tall I'm like 5'7 so 5'7 over 300 I don't know the exact number because at one point I stopped wanting to measure or get on the scale but I know it was over 300 because Uh, I started losing weight in my senior year. Um, Actually, it was my second semester. So I was about to get close to graduating and I decided to uh, start losing weight. And I had already been losing weight. And then I decided to get on the scale finally. And I was like 297 at that point. So I was, I don't know, we'll say 310, 320, something like that. Um, And I just, you know, I woke up one day and I realized that if I didn't, if I just kept going this way, you know, my brother was, was really overweight and I saw how big he got and how it affected his life. And my family had a lot of, or still has a lot of issues with like diabetes and and heart issues. And so I, I just had this revelation one day that I just couldn't do that anymore. I had to do something. And, and, you know, to be honest with you, uh, I wasn't getting any attention from the ladies and that didn't feel good. So I needed to get, you know, some of this weight off so I could get myself a girlfriend and stuff like that. But um, I, yeah, I, I, I ended up losing about 120, 130 pounds, whatever, whatever. From, from the day I start, I measured, I was 297. I got down to like 177 um, within the span of like, I think it was six, seven months. Um, so really quickly, I lost weight really quickly, which. They'll tell you nowadays you shouldn't do that, right? It's like a Biggest Loser type of thing that I did with myself, but um, I don't know. It, it it just that's what got me to fall in love with exercise and fitness and, and learning about nutrition because I fell in love at first with the results, which is fine. I always tell people you can use that as motivation. That's no problem. Falling in love with the results that you're getting up front. But you got to find a way to turn it into, you know, discipline and habits and stuff. Um, so to, to speed it up, basically, I started going to, to, to undergrad. I went in for kinesiology. I fell in love with this whole thing. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna go get a master's degree because I met um, this guy named Lane Norton. Nobody knows about that guy, but uh, you know, some unknown dude in the fitness industry named Lane. I, I met him, and he. Uh, he told me, hey, you should go see Dr. Campbell. So then I took his advice and it was good advice. And, uh, you know, long story short, uh, I I just said, hey, maybe I can have, have a, a career in teaching people to do what I did. And turns out you can. Who knew?
0: Yeah. So I would like to touch on that even more because a lot of people see weight loss and muscle growth and toning and gaining strength. They see all of these things as different goals. How does how does training really differ though from weight loss or muscle growth or strength training? How does the training change between each of those main focuses?
2: So as far as like, is there a difference between training for fat loss versus training for muscle growth? Is that what you're asking?
0: Yeah. Like one, one assumption is, oh, I have to do tons of cardio if I want to lose weight. Oh, sure. Um, yeah, I'm sure you've heard yeah. that, but how has your training changed? I guess, uh, disregard the powerlifting side, because that's a whole training within itself, but like muscle growth and weight loss, how do those trainings
2: defer? Yeah, man. I, I, I would say here's one of those things where I, I know now what to do better. I wish I could go back and tell my 18 year old self, uh, to lose weight a different way. Because what I did when I started was I just did a bunch of cardio, because that is the, the sort of uh, conventional wisdom, whether it is um, smart or not, I don't think it is, but just just go do a bunch of cardio. Now, that being said, uh, if I had maybe would have gone back to myself and said, Hey, you got to lift weights, you're, you're not going to lose weight doing cardio, maybe that would have deterred me from from actually getting the ball rolling and getting to where I am right now. So you got to think of that aspect too, because there's a lot of like black and white thinking these days. And the the truth is a lot in the middle, but, um, if you want to talk about optimal, I think that the optimal way to train even for weight loss is to have strength training as the base of what you're doing. Right. Um, why is that? Well, because chances are you're going, especially if this is, if you're a beginner, you're going to gain muscle and probably lose fat at the same time at the beginning. We know that that body recomposition effect occurs with beginners um, at a much higher rate than it does for somebody like myself, who's now you know 10, 11, 12 years down the road. Um, and if we can main, at least build some muscle and then maintain that muscle, now we're going to have a lot more of a favorable metabolic adaptation to that, as opposed to what happens when you do a bunch of cardio to lose weight is chances are, you're going to lose, lose muscle doing that. And so now you have a less favorable metabolic sort of, uh, metabolic environment for, for being quote unquote fit. Um, and I have a lot more work to do on the back end to try to build that muscle, um, you know, after you've lost weight. So, um, to answer your question, um, these days when somebody comes to me and they say, Hey, I'm really looking to lose some weight. Um, and I really want to, uh, you to hire you to do my nutrition. And I also really need some help on the training side of things because, you know, I heard there's a different way to train and, and I don't know how much cardio to do. First question I ask them is how much cardio do you like to do? Do you like doing cardio? Are you already doing cardio? Uh, yes or no. Um, if they really abhor uh, cardio, it's like the last thing that, on earth that they want to do. Then I'm not going to give them a bunch of cardio, right? Because they're not, not going to stick to the program. Why would I do that? You know, um, now we're you know I'm just subjecting them to unnecessary torture, basically. So we're going to go with strength training because that's what they like to do. But if they come to me and they say, "Hey, I love cardio. I, I just love going out there a couple times a week. I love to ride my bike around or go on the trails or I love to run or something like that," we're going to keep that into their program because that's going to get them to stick to the program. Now, eventually there may come a point where we're decreasing their, their, their calories to a point where they're feeling really hungry. You know, they're having a problem with, um, the volume of food that they're eating. And we're already doing things like making sure that they're eating higher volume foods. Um, that were, that's my, that may be where the conversation comes in of, Hey, we got two choices here. One, we could further decrease your calories to get you to lose more weight. I know you're already struggling with that. That's, uh, you know, I, I know that that's been uh, on, on the check-in emails. You've been talking about hunger and how you wish you had more food to eat. What if instead of doing that, we got you to just increase go on an extra 20, 30 minute walk a day, or we get you on the, on the recumbent bike or the treadmill and do just, just some extra cardio to move. And that can help to move the needle. Um, you know, those are some things, again, like you mentioned earlier, it's an art, not necessarily just a, 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 there's no formula that you can put people into where it's like, okay, we're going to start with three days a week of weight training, two days a week of, of cardio. And then, Uh, At week number four, we're going to increase cardio by 10 minutes. And then at week number eight, we're going to increase cardio again by 10 minutes. It it just doesn't work that way, you know?
0: Yeah. And something you mentioned at the beginning of when you just started to talk about that is there's black and white and there's a ton in between. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned how originally you started off doing cardio and that got the ball rolling. You started seeing results that probably drove you a little bit more because you're like, oh, wow, I can do this. So I just wanted to really touch on how important that is because a lot of people will see the black and white, but they don't see everything in between and they don't see the autonomy and they don't see how motivation and how to fuel people to continue forward instead of giving them all these things. Like if they hate cardio, we we'll give them 10 miles to run a week. Like that's going to not, they're going to stop doing the program. Like right? mm-hmm. it's that simple. So what are some ways that you've found to really influence people
2: to keep them going in the direction that you want them to go? So like I said, the first thing is designing a program that, that works with the individual. I've already touched on that and, and, and their individual wants and needs. But then from there, uh, I'm really big on, you know, cluing into the habits that they're going to need <clears throat> in order to make their goals easier for them to achieve. Because there's, I mean, there's a million ways to reach a goal, Um, and some of them are really difficult. You can make it really difficult for yourself, and you can make it easy for yourself. And so we have to come up with ways. First of all, coming up with what are the obstacles that you that they know. People know what their obstacles are most of the time. If you ask, even if you ask them a few questions, kind of probe that kind of stuff, they know what is kind of preventing them from getting the job done. Most people know what they need to do when it comes to weight loss or gaining muscle. It's just like the, the little things in between that they just don't know how to figure out. And that's why they come to you. But so they won't always offer you like, OK, my problem is I, um, you know, I have a problem where I get off of work and I come home and I go to the fridge and then I just have like a mini eating contest because I'm so hungry. You got to figure that out. You know, they're not usually they're kind of embarrassed. They're not going to offer that to you right away. You have to figure out, and sometimes that's you know, you have to ask questions from different angles and stuff like that. And so once we clue in on what are the obstacles, we also clue in on some specific goals that we can lay out and some mini goals along the way. And what I call mini goals are really more of what are some behaviors that you need to implement in order to make that goal achievable. It's in order to achieve that goal. So if it's, uh, let's just give an example of somebody who's on, you know, more on the beginner side of things, and they're just trying to get into working out consistently, but their, their goal is to um, lose 20 pounds. So what are some habits that we can give them that they can track? You know, I always tell people, get yourself a journal and write out the habits that you want to um, uh, uh, embody over the next say month, two months, three months, and each week you're going to have check boxes on the day, uh, and, and, and seven seven per week, and you're going to check: Did I hit that that habit that day? Did I um, did I eat my three meals that day? Um, did I uh, you know get my eight thousand steps in that day? Did I work out? three days during this week that I said I was going to work out all these little things. And objectively they can look, okay. I kind of missed the boat that week. You know, I said I was going to get 8,000 steps a day, but uh, you know, it turns out I only did that twice last week. There's some room for improvement there, right? Next week, we're going to do that three times at least. And then the next week we're going to try to go for four times throughout the week until eventually we're at seven days a week no questions asked it's a no brainer it's just part of what i do every week every day i get my steps maybe every once in a while whatever you know i got stuck at work i wasn't able to and i got less than my step count but those are rare now it's not it, it's more the exception so now we can knock that off the list that's already a habit you have you don't need to worry about that anymore let's bring in something else that's a little bit more difficult for you to to get your grasp on and then by that you're just building up and up and up until one day they're the exact person that they wanted to be. And the goal has taken care of itself because it's real easy once your habits are there to reach the goal, right? It's, it's overcoming that um, momentum or overcoming that, that yeah, the getting that momentum going in the beginning. That's really difficult for people.
1: Yeah, no, I think a lot of people, they, they fall into that cycle, as you said, that black and white thinking. It's if I can't do something, why do it at all? But rather mm. thinking, hey where can I start? Where can I build that momentum and where can I continuously optimize that program or optimize that habit? Where again, as you said, it's part of my goal. And I think, again, that's where we really try to come within is that intrinsically motivated. It's got to be part of who you are, not even like your identity, because I think there's a fine line. I, for me specifically, and some of my athletes that I work with, it's like, that is who I am. And I think you have to kind of draw that line because if that's all who you are, Again, it's going to be a tough like separation or stuff like that. So I would ask you too, because again, I know you were a powerlifter. You said, Hey, maybe that that's who I was. What was that? I guess that tough transition thinking, Hey man, I got to back off a little bit and almost make this a part of my life and not my identity. Because I feel like when we start identifying as certain sports or certain athletes, it can almost do more harm than good because that's all I have. That's who I am. That's what I do. How are you trying to, again, zoom out a little bit and make this again a part of your life?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Um I think that when I was in it, I had all these ideas of of, of what I was going to do with powerlifting and going and winning nationals or something like that. Everybody kind of has that in the back of their head when they get started. And I think some of that comes from especially when you're a little kid, you think you're going to play in the NBA. You think you're going to be in the NFL or whatever. And you kind of there's still that little part of you that's kind of holding on to hope that you're going to find the thing that you're going to be the world champion at. But um, no, uh, it's really, it's real tough. Um, And I think that what I had to do was uh, part of what started convincing me was the adversity I was facing with injuries and how it was affecting my life in a negative way in terms of how much time I was putting into training like that. Um, and how I wasn't enjoying simple pleasures in life, like being able to go on a vacation, because I'm worried that I have to find a gym that I got to get to, otherwise I'm going to lose gains. Those are, those are, um, those are the type of, of thoughts and thinking that are, you know, a little bit disordered, right? Um, it's one thing if you're getting paid, to win powerlifting meets. It's one thing if you got sponsors that are paying you to do powerlifting meets and you're making a living off of it. It's another thing if all you're doing is getting a cheap metal or a cheap plastic trophy to to hang um, and you're sacrificing all this this stuff just to get that. Yeah, I mean, you got a few of them, right? Those are great to hang on the wall. There's nothing wrong with getting those, but they have to fit within the context of your overall life, right? Um, Like for yourself, you know, um, could you uh, in, 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 and forgive me if, if, I'm, if I'm selling you short, but could you train to be um, the world record holder power lifter in your weight division and still get a PhD and still have, you know, we working on maybe a relationship? I don't know if you have a significant other or whatever, 24, 7, 365, maybe, um, but maybe not. And, and so you have to start to be realistic with yourself and where where your limits are and I started to realize that I had limits because I was breaking down my I had a really serious back injury um I know I was getting aches and pains all over the place uh I was you know getting more you know stressed out with everything that I had going on you know you know uh Chris you know as well I mean you're in a graduate program it gets tough I mean there's a lot of work to do in, in, in school you know you have a lot of uh of of um, not just obligations in the classroom, but also outside of the classroom, to ensure that you're putting yourself in a position to excel in the professional world after you're done. Right? And so, um, how did I transition myself? Sorry, you know, I get real long-winded and I lose track of where no, I'm man, at. Keep going. I, I, uh, I, I get wordy sometimes, but um, you know, I had to kind of do some self-reflection of, of. Is powerlifting or weightlifting or, 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 or just lifting in general, <clears throat> is that really all that I am or am I, am I more than that? You know, like, like LeBron J- James says, more than an athlete, right? Even he is, is, is thinking about who he is outside of just basketball. And, you know, it's his profession. So I started to think to myself, okay, so these professional athletes, that's their profession. And then they have hobbies outside of it too, right? Or they live life outside of it too. And even professional athletes, you know, they go through a season and then what do they do? Usually they take like a month off. Like LeBron doesn't even touch a basketball for like a month because he's burnt out with basketball. He needs to just chill. And, um, you know, I started thinking to myself, okay, so my job isn't, I'm not a professional athlete. That's just one of my hobbies. And and my professional job is now to coach other people and to pour myself into that. And, you know, that doesn't take as much of a physical demand. So I can still have my hobby, which is lifting. And I'm still consider myself somebody who is who finds lifting important. But I also have my wife and I have my family and I have my friends. And, you know, they started making jokes about how Like I never eat out with them or I, you know, like I'm always training, I'm never doing anything with them, And that kind of started to be like, huh, that's not, you know, that's not sustainable because when I'm 50 years old, am I still going to be a power lifter and just power lifting and that's all I'm going to do? Or am I going to want to explore other avenues in life and have a more fulfilling experience beyond just the walls of a gym, you know? No, man. There's a lot of respect to that because, you know,
1: I kind of came to the same scenario and it's like, if you, if that's all you care about, then shoot, man, you, you're in for a, for a rough life, um, mm. as you said, man, am I going to be able to squat and do all of that at 50? Fuck, I hope so. But if that's all you care about in your 20s, there's, there's a, a good chance that you might not be able to do that when you're 50. So definitely how yeah. I've tried to reframe it in my head or just try to persuade that message to my clients is that, hey, it's not about this session. It's not even about this, this meat. It's about, you know, 10 years down the line, 20 years from now on the line where you're able to pick up your kid, you're able to play with your kid, fuck, play with your damn puppy. But you have a lot of other, those people that you talk to that are older in the gym like that, you're going to hurt yourself. You don't, you don't want to do that. And it's not that that is inherently bad is that we just, we don't leave our ego at the door and we're just like, oh man, I, this day has got to be 500. It's got to be there. Or if it's, or we yeah. force it to be there, um, rather than having no expectations and, you know, just feeling the workout, how it goes. Um, and I would, that's another thing I want to kind of get into. How are you, I guess, persuading that to your clients that, Hey, like, yes, I have given you a certain workout program or, you know, a certain set reps and, uh, load scheme, but how are you, I guess, educating them on that, the sense of, Hey, if it's not there today, it's okay. Adjust it this way. How are you trying to persuade them in that, that fashion?
2: Yeah. So one thing I like to tell people is it's not about it's not about winning every single battle. It's about winning the war. Right. And so the war is this long game of trying to trying to improve. Yes, we all trying to as humans, that's just a human nature. We try to improve at everything we do. Um, but I also, you know, you know, I tell them, hey, it, it, ask yourself this. What is there anything in life that is on a constant linear improvement that's not in a machine, right? Uh, do you, is there anything in your life where every single thing, every single time you do it, you're just better at it than you were the time before. Not really. At a certain, in the beginning, yes. In the beginning of doing any new thing, you are constantly getting better. But then at a certain point, you start to see this, this curve or this graph where it's kind of like that. And it is going up over time. It's just that you're having dips. And so like, Some people get real in their head when they go to the gym and last week they squatted 315 for five, and this week they could only squat 295 for five. And they think, Oh my god, well, my life is over now because now I'm getting worse, and um, you know, I don't know what I did wrong. And they try to like find the excuses to why I was wrong, and sometimes I'm like, Listen, man, maybe last week your body was just working at 100% efficiency, which is rare, and then. This week you were at eighty percent efficiency for whatever reason. You didn't sleep well. You didn't. you you got some extra stress going on. You got you know whatever you, the fatigue of the whole uh, 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 program is starting to catch up with you a little bit. Maybe three fifteen for ten was or three fifteen for fives was really really hard for you. And and you're discounting the fact that that's going to have an impact on the next week's program because maybe you're not recovered enough from that session. There's all kinds of things. Um, and, and and it is about the long game, about how you know you can maybe th- squat three fifteen for five now, but um, and if you're getting that depressed over the fact that you can't do three twenty five for five next week, uh, um, eventually that shoes going to drop because you're not going to squat three fifteen for five when you're seventy five years old. Eventually, you're gonna you're going to experience a decline in what your body can do. It's just natural, um, and so I, I try to prepare people for it's not like I'm trying to prepare you to suck or anything. It's just, I'm trying to prepare you to take, take lifting for what it really is, which is really just something you really enjoy doing something that brings you a lot of fulfillment, a lot of joy in life, something that you're trying to improve on year to year and, and however ways you can, but that's what it is. It isn't, it isn't something to take as life or death or something that is just so serious all the time. I mean, if you're, if, if if lifting isn't bringing you happiness then you got to rethink the way you're approaching lifting you know what i'm saying
1: yeah no there's a lot of merit to that because i think again for the fitness industry i think we've lost the appreciation of just being healthy right, right? Mm. it's always about gaining or it's always about losing and i'm like yo what happened to just living life enjoying life and you know living through the moment um, and, you know, just enjoying where you're at and who you are today, because, again, you've been through hell or you've been through whatever you've been through. And here you are. You're enjoying what you're doing. And I think it, that's what I, I try to bring back to a lot of my clients is, that, hey, man, like you're doing a phenomenal job. Right. Or, or in the maintenance phase, it's like, hey, you didn't put on the freshman 15 or you didn't get mm. the dad bod like that's huge fucking success, because a lot of people, they start doing that and then they're like, oh, shit, we got to catch up or they failed in a sense where it wasn't a part of their lifestyle and stuff like that. But I'd ask you for, again, all of the years that you get, you've done research, you're you've run your own business and you've done it yourself. What are those top three things that you would say you would, you wish you could have told the old Andre's starting his fitness, his fitness
2: journey. Mm, that's a real good question. Let's see. Um, you know, I think, one of the things we just talked about, which is about how it's about, and I did, don't get me wrong. I I did enjoy the journey, but I did get into this mindset of continually trying to, trying to focus on this like distant goal that I have, trying to focus on, on what I can attain with what I'm doing as opposed to enjoying what I've already done and enjoying what I, what, what I am doing now. Like, that's what, uh, when I go to the gym nowadays, um, you know, I'm just enjoying the fact that my body doesn't hurt when I work out. I'm enjoying the fact that I can, I can lift relatively heavy and not feel like I got hit by a truck the rest of the day or the next day. Right. Um, you know, and just enjoying the fact that, man, my body's capable. Look at what I can do. Like, I couldn't do this stuff 10 years ago, right? When I first started, I couldn't push sleds or, or squat this heavy weight with good form or, or bench press X amount of weight, you know, like I've already won basically by being here. Right. So now the the results that I get on top of it, or the goals that I achieve on top of it are more like the icing on the cake. So that's one thing that I would tell myself. Um, number two, I think is kind of related. And this is something that I talk to my clients about is is really cluing in on what is the real deep reasons or reason or reasons why you're, you're trying to get into doing or, or, or achieving some of the goals that you have. So, you know, it's real common. Everybody wants to lose fat or they want to gain muscle or they want to get stronger, but there's some real deep seated reasons within each person as to why it is that they want to do that. Right. And I think if you can tie what you're doing to those deep seated reasons it makes for a much more fulfilling experience and a lot of people don't really realize why they're doing what they're doing they just they have this thought of wanting to look better wanting to be stronger but what is it really what is it really hitting on deep down you know, like maybe it's you know maybe it could be because you know, something sad, like they were bullied or something like that when they were younger, and they're trying to feel strong and confident and capable for themselves, or, you know, maybe for a, for a, a single mom or, or any mom, they're just trying to set a good example for their daughter, that women can be strong and powerful, and there's nothing to be ashamed of There, you don't have to hide that kind of thing and, and kind of shrink away and be a weak person, right? Or for for a guy, you know, sometimes it's just as simple as like, you know, there's just this inherent need of guys to be, to be strong and feel capable within themselves. Um, those kinds of things help you to not take it so seriously when it's taking you a longer time to reach the goal that you have, because you can think of, yeah, you know, I really, you know, I said in six months, I was going to put 20 pounds on my squat. Uh, you know, so far I put 10 Uh, I could be sad about that, but you know what? The real reason I'm doing this is X, Y, and Z. And at the end of the day, I put 10 pounds on my squat anyway. So I've already won, you know, I've won twice in that respect. Um, And, uh, you know, the, the other thing I would tell myself is, is to try to do some work on, on, on not comparing yourself to, And it's become even, I feel bad for people who starting, when I started, I didn't have Instagram and social media to look at, to really, to be frank, to make myself depressed about the way I looked, right? Because you, I mean, you jump on social media. If I jump on Instagram right now and go to my feed or the popular page, it's inundated with Adonises and and women who are supermodel looking, right? I don't look like that. And, and, and one thing I'll tell myself back in the day is I thought that I was going to look like that. I thought that I was going to put in the work for a few years and I was going to be able to look like that. And there was this sense all along the way up until, and I'm still doing work on this, to be honest with you, but every year that went by that it didn't look like that to me was like a failure, right? Because I didn't have the six pack. I didn't have the chiseled muscles. I didn't, I didn't look like I belonged on the cover of men's magazine. And, uh, and, and, and that caused a lot of sadness and inner turmoil, right? That wasn't necessary. And so what I would say is, is um, you know, I don't know, maybe it's demotivating for people to say it this way, but chances are. The dude that you look up to who's on the cover of the magazine or that's on the social, he's like a genetic elite for one, probably. And number two, he's probably on more drugs than you care to take, right? Or he or she. Um, and so unless you're willing to go into those waters, unless you're willing to wade into the steroids and all of the the weight loss drugs and all of these things that you might have to take in order to maintain that look 247-365. Have a little bit of realistic um, viewpoint over what you're going to look like. Like, take a look at all the people in your life. Take 10, 15, 20 people that are around you. And unless you're in the fitness space, um, chances are, you know, not a lot of them are in shape or none of them look that way, right? So you're going to look good. You just might not look like the rock. That's all.
1: You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no and I think that's the best thing to really wrap this up on man. Self-love is the best love and just enjoying that process of self-improvement of continuously loving yourself, continuously, you know, nourishing your body because you only you only get one life and you don't want to live this life being obsessed about what you look like or what people think about you. It's you versus you at the end of the day. And when mm-hmm. you can continuously win every day and improve each day, this will be a lot More fun than when you continuously surround yourself by people that are micromanaging or micro looking at you, whatever I'm trying to say there. But again, if you find that passion within yourself, you're going to be fucking unstoppable no matter what you do in life. So, Andres, this was a pleasure. This was a blast, man. Uh, For our listeners, can you go ahead and tell them where you can find yourself on Instagram, wherever you guys are at, my man?
2: Absolutely. So, you can find me on Instagram uh, at the strength cave. Um, you can find me on Facebook. If you search the strength cave, same thing. I got a website, www.thestrengthcave.com. Um, hit me up on there. I'm always, I'm always willing to engage with, with anybody who's got questions or comments or whatever. So uh, looking forward to talking to some of you guys.
1: Yes, sir. And that's all the smoke with my man, Andre's the strength cave, going to his cave and get strong and shit like him. Mm-hmm. But, again, make it a part of who you are, not about what you think you need to do more about, again, enjoying life and all that. And that's all the smoke. We appreciate you, Andres, and we'll definitely have to have wow. you back for a part. Appreciate you
2: guys, man. Thanks so much for having me on. It was an awesome conversation. So thank yes, you, sir. Appreciate it, my man.